Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. I believe that every person desires to belong. Every one of us wants a place to belong. Uh, we look at our city like where we live in Boston. It's, it's a beautiful place. We want, we want to find a place that feels like home. And often we watch movies or read books or watch TV shows, and there's some sort of idyllic town or city that we can imagine ourselves living in. So this is participation time. I want you to call it out. Imagine a TV show, a book, a movie. What's a town or a movie that you would want to live in? Anybody got one that they would want to live in? Star, I knew you were going to say that. The stars hollow. What's that? You see, like, yeah, echo that. I, I amen that. Anybody else, a, a town you'd want to live in or a city you'd want to live in from a show or movie or book? New York in the 80s. Okay. Taking her life into her own hands. Anybody else? The Shire, New York, the Shire. So Matt is a hobbit. Um, Say one more time. The forest mood of Endor, yeah. Anybody else? Okay, so there's a number of places we can imagine, and I knew my kids were going to say that because it's a teenage rite of passage for a girl to watch the Gilmore Girls. And uh, they have recently started watching the Gilmore Girls, and they want to live in Stars Hollow. I mean, like, they're like, this looks amazing. Uh, and the problem with TV shows and movies, whether it's The Shire or Endor or Stars Hollow, wherever it might be, is this, it's, it's not reality. It's the ideal but it's not reality, and, and we look at it, and there, you know, even reality TV is not reality. Pro wrestling is more real than reality TV. None of it feels real. There, there is no Luke's Diner. There's no Suki working with you at the, at the hotel. Um, we don't live in Stars Hollow or Richmond outside of London if you're a, if you're a Ted Lasso fan. We don't live at Hogwarts. Uh, we don't live in any of these places. They don't feel like reality. Sorry to burst that bubble this morning. But if you read the end of Acts chapter 2 and you see the type of belonging that's being described, it feels a little bit like a fairy tale. It feels like an ideal. Uh, can we really have relationships like this? Can we really have the type of intimacy with other people that's being described at the end of Acts chapter 2? And I believe that the answer is yes. And I believe that the church is the answer to our desire for belonging for two reasons. Number one, a life-giving church doesn't have to be a perfect church. When we look at the ideal that we see at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see what looks like the perfect little community of people. Everybody loves each other. Nothing's going wrong. God's moving powerfully. But if you look at the rest of the letter or the book of Acts, we see some pretty messed up people. We see a few chapters later, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sin against the Lord, they get struck dead. That, that's a big damper to community. Um, this is a logistical nightmare where a lot of stuff's going to fall through the cracks. Uh, they went from 120 people to 3,000 people. So imagine how much that's going to overload your volunteers, how much that's going to mess up planning center. Everything's getting messed up with all this. So much so that when you get to Acts chapter 6, they had to restructure everything because care needs were falling through the cracks. Widows weren't being cared for. The very simple acts of being a family uh, were getting missed. They faced heartache and trouble. 
They faced persecution. They had to sort out disagreements over what they believed. And so this was far from a perfect church, but man, did they love each other. They loved each other. And the reality of community and the type of community that we want to belong to doesn't have to be perfect, but it can be life-giving that's loving. They loved each other. The second reason is that community is the means by which we find belonging. The community that God has given us as the church is the means by which we invite others into a place to belong. And so this church in Acts, they had no money, they had no building, they had no resources. All they had was Jesus and each other, and it was enough. And church, no matter the resources we have, no matter the facilities we have, we have Jesus and each other, and that's enough. That is the means by which people flourish. And I believe that the best days for Jesus's church are ahead of us, not behind us. And I believe City on a Hill can be this community, and I believe City on a Hill is this type of community. Our greatest asset will always be our people. The greatest advantage we will always have is each other. And when we see the people of God living as a community, we see that this is God's plan for other people to belong. This is how God intends to grow you as a Christian. This is how God intends to help us find joy and meaning and belonging because every single person needs community because every single person needs to belong. You were designed to want to belong. You were designed to not be alone. The very two first people in the Bible are described, Adam is described as it was not good that he was alone. God created us for relationship because God has existed in relationship for all eternity. The Father, the Son, the Spirit have been a community as God the Father, God the Son, the Trinity, and that is extended to us as people made in God's image that we desire to belong. And it's a little bit how like water affects thirst. We need water because we are thirsty. We need community because we desire to belong. And we try all sorts of imperfect ways to belong with others. We rally around sports. We rally around interests. We rally around hobbies. I saw a flyer in our community just this past week that was a, was a, a sign-up for hangout groups for people in their 20s and 30s. We all desire belonging, but I actually believe that Christianity gives the best and truest picture of where we can truly belong. All of us were made for community as a way to connect us with each other and with God. So this morning, I want to look at the idea of the, of the church as a community and what Christian community says about belonging. So firstly, I want to examine what Christian community is, what Christian community is. If you look at verse 42, verse 42 is a summary statement for the rest of the passage. It is a summary for what's happening in verses 43 through 47. So 43 through 47 describe the type of life that's being described in verse 42. So what I'm going to do this morning is that we're going to bounce around a little. I'm going to call the verses out so that as you're reading along, you know where to look to make sure that we're all in this together. But when we look at this, we see that Christian community has four aspects that the early church was devoted to. And the first of these was teaching. They, they, were, they were committed to teaching, and specifically it was the apostles' teaching. Jesus had handed the apostles the keys to the kingdom. He had told them that he was going to leave, and we examined this a few weeks ago, that he was going to leave, and he was going to hand over the, uh, his ministry to them, that they were going to extend his ministry 
And so we see the teaching that would be called the apostles' teaching was built on the Old Testament. It was built on the Old Testament law. So if you're familiar with that, that's the first five books of the Bible, you know, uh, that were Moses' law. They're built on wisdom literature like Psalms and Proverbs, on the prophets like Isaiah that we read this morning. And one thing we know about the Old Testament and why it extends into Jesus' ministry and why it extends into the apostles' ministry and why it extends into our ministry is that every word of the scriptures points to Jesus. Every word of scripture is about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We are devoted to God's word, to the teaching, because it points us to Jesus. And we see the result of what happens when a people are committed to the teachings of Jesus is it creates awe and wonder. Look at verse 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We see this outpouring of the Spirit in such a way that as they taught the Word, people responded to the Word. And David Peterson says that there was an enduring sense of awe inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst, that as the Word is being taught, God works. And so what it means to be devoted to the Bible's teachings is that when we read the Bible, it's not just information. It's not just us learning a history lesson. It's not just us learning how to be better people in, in sort of a, of a theoretical way. But it's actually meant to be embedded in our hearts to transform us into the type of people that God wants us to be. And so when we read about Jesus being a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that a friend would lay down his life for another, that a friend would sacrifice for another, these aren't meant to be ideas. They're meant to be things that we live out. When the Bible says that Jesus will make us new, it means that he will make you new. And that as you submit yourself and you devote yourself to the Bible's teachings, it begins to change what you want and how you live. So what shaped the early church to live this way? Why did they love each other? Why should you and I sacrifice to be with each other? Why did this group of people spend time with people who were so different than them culturally it's because they devoted themselves to the teaching of Jesus and took it seriously. And so here's how this fleshes itself out at City on a Hill. Every Sunday we come and we sit under the authority of God's word. Every Sunday. And so that's why when we read scripture at the end, we say, this is the word of the Lord. And we ask you to respond by saying, thanks be to God, because we submit ourselves, we devote ourselves to God's teachings, asking Jesus to change us. We do this in our community groups. If you want to learn to read the Bible and learn to devote yourself to teaching, man, a community group is a great place to start. There is no experience required. You can know nothing about the Bible. It's a great place to start. It's like, you ever read a job listing that says, you know, it's an entry-level position, but they want 10 years of experience? That's what it can feel like at church sometimes, is that we enter in by the, the work of Jesus, but man, I feel like I got to know all this stuff. You don't have to know anything. Because all of us are devoting ourselves to the teachings of Jesus together in a community. And what we're saying is, is, I have things to learn as well. I have areas in my life that need to change as well. And the third way we see this fleshing itself out at City on a Hill is there's an expectation that we're going to change. Man, everyone is welcome here. 
wherever you're at in your journey, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're welcome. And that's the welcome of the gospel. But know also that the good news changes you. And as you devote yourself to the scriptures, God begins to change you into the type of person that he wants you to be. And when he does that, it's always going to be for your good. John Piper, and this is the way we imagine the word working here, he said, when they spoke, God worked. We believe when the word of God is preached, he works. Are are we devoted to the Bible? How is God transforming you as you devote yourself to the scriptures? Secondly is fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. This is a, a fun little word in the original language, which would have been Greek. It's the word koinonia. And the only reason I even say that word is because To give you an idea of what it means, it means to share with one another. They were devoted to one another in such a way that they were willing to share with each other. And this happens in two ways. Number one is that they shared life together. Verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day, they were in each other's homes. They were in each other's lives. They worshiped together. If they had kids, their kids played together. They spent lots of time together. They got to know each other on a deep and vulnerable level that you can only get to when you have extended periods of time with people. My wife was just talking to a group of people yesterday, and she was saying that there are only two ways to get to know someone. is either a very short period of time with a lot of intensity or lots of repeated interactions over a long period of time. The church provides both of those ways that we can get to know each other. And what happens when we share life together, when we spend time together, is we begin to pour into each other's lives where we keep pointing each other back to the gospel. We keep pointing each other back to the good news that we devote ourselves to in the teachings of Jesus. Because there is a point, will be a point in my life where I need you to point me back to the good news. There's going to be a point in my life where I am at my lowest And I'm not believing the gospel in that moment. I'm not believing I'm loved by Jesus. I'm not believing my identity comes from him. And I'm going to need you to give me that good news. And there's going to be a point in your life where I'm going to have to do the same thing. That only happens when we have life together. When we have life together, we get to celebrate all the highs and all the victories. When we celebrate life together, we get to do all the mundane stuff together. Mundane stuff is fun when you have somebody you like with you. So we we share life together, but also it's just simply sharing together. Look at verse 44. It said, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this section has been a little confusing to some because it's not, this isn't communism, it isn't socialism. There's nothing forced here. But this was voluntarily loving each other to the point that they were making sure that there were no needs unmet in the church. They saw a need and they met it. So to give you some framework for what's happening here, these, there are people who are coming for a religious festival from all around the world. They come together and they all get saved. Everybody becomes a Christian and they just decide to stay. So let's say this next year, The Boston Marathon happens, the Spirit of God falls, and 3,000 people get saved, and they all come to City on a Hill Church. Whoa, okay, we're going to have to figure out what to do with this. People are getting saved, you're trying to figure out where where some people are going to live, how they're going to eat, 
finding jobs. You're trying to figure out all of these things that are happening. And so they sacrificed to make sure that no one was in need. And when we share together, it's an expression of how Jesus gives us grace. That Jesus gave up everything. He laid his life down for you and for me, dying on the cross because of grace. So Christian community is a visible display of God's love for us through the giving of his son. And some examples of this that I've seen even in our own church is I've seen people open up their wallets and help pay bills. I've seen people stay up late at night having people in their homes counseling them. I've seen people buy plane tickets and go across country to help people move. I've seen people open up their bedrooms for a weekend or for, for, for a few months. And all of this comes when we believe the teachings of Jesus and apply them. The early church took verses like Deuteronomy 15.4 where it says, but there will be no poor among you for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. They believed passages like this and applied them. That's what fellowship looks like. One of the most radical things that we can do as Christians in the city of Boston is do fellowship with each other. To slow our lives down enough to say, I'm going to think about others and not just myself. To prioritize people over performance, to prioritize giving over getting. How are you giving yourself away for others at City on a Hill? And if you're not, what's stopping you from doing so? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's the fear of being vulnerable with other people or it's, it's scarcity. You're just afraid you're not going to have enough. But I do believe the Lord provides for us when we're faithful. What's one step that you could take to share your life with other people? Maybe the first step is getting into a community group. Maybe the first step is inviting someone for lunch. What is a step of obedience you could take? And if you are doing this, we want to hear about it. We want to celebrate these stories of how God is building our church. The third aspect of Christian community is meals. We talk about food a lot. The church is a place to eat. Um, We like potlucks. We like gift cards to places to eat. A lot of the meetings I have are over food. Uh, We like food. It is very godly to share meals together. It's an extension of life together uh, to share meals. Now, from the text here, it seems like this could be communion. It could be regular meals. It could be both. I think it's both. But it is clear that many of these meals were just happening in people's houses. If you look at the end of verse 46, It says that day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Sharing meals together is a picture of Christian community because it provides so many opportunities for us to show the love of Jesus. Number one is it gives us an opportunity to be glad. Our tables should be places of joy and gladness. Our tables are opportunities for such beautiful joy, places to laugh and play and open our hearts to other people. One of the easiest ways to get to know someone is over a meal. But it also gives us opportunities to be generous, to share with others what we have received. I mean, again, I love food. I love talking about food. While I'm eating food, I talk about other food that I've eaten that I enjoy. I want others to experience the same joy I'm having through this meal. And what we can do is be generous with what God has given us to share with other people. And what meals communicate is that another person belongs. You belong here. In the ancient world, when you ate with someone, it was the equivalent of having a relationship with them. 
It's the great leveler that no matter where you're from or what you've done, you belong in this place. And this is why when Jesus told Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to have dinner today, it was a picture of grace. Meals are a beautiful picture of grace. And so who's, who is at your dinner table? Who are you inviting in to show the love of Jesus through a simple meal? And I want to challenge you about the eat together a lot. Spend time together. After church lunch is a great time to do that. Invite someone to come with you. Now, I know for some, you know, man, I have four kids. We're not eating out every week. I can tell you that. Brown bag it. Do a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Do a hot dog. Invite other people along to share a meal with. When you get together with your community group, it doesn't have to be a big meal every week, but could you share snacks together? Could you do something simple together? But also just leveraging the meals you're already eating. We eat somewhere between 14 and 21 meals every week, depending on if you skip breakfast. What if you were to use two of those meals every single week to leverage them as a means to show grace? Use one meal to bless someone in our church, and then use another meal to bless someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. What would change in the way that you are showing God's grace? We could do this intentionally. Maybe you're one of these people who you love a theme. Man, theme out every day. Like, make it alliterate. You know, like, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, Thanksgiving Thursday or Fun Friday or whatever it might be. Just do something that helps you enjoy it. The fourth aspect of Christian community is prayer. We talked about this two weeks ago, that we want to be a praying church at City on a Hill. But we see that the life of the early church is that they sought God together, that prayer was central to their lives together. And we see examples of this throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had just gone before the authorities. They get shaken down, and they come back, and the early church prays for boldness. Give us boldness in the face of persecution. They prayed over each other. They prayed for healing. They prayed for the gospel to go forward. And when you pray over one another, this is one of the simplest ways to do community is to simply just offer to pray for someone. Look, I don't always have all the answers. Neither do you, but we can always pray. What if we were the first thing, our first resort when talking to someone and say, hey, let, let's go to the Lord together. Now, as we, we see this ideal picture of community, I, I would imagine that even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're like, this is pretty attractive. I could see myself wanting this type of community. So let's take a look at what it's going to take to get this type of community. Secondly, what Christian community requires. Christian community is going to require some work and is wrapped up in that word for fellowship that we're going to have to give ourselves to one another. We're going to, have to be devoted to one another as a fellowship. So three requirements of Christian community. They're, they're words that are paired together. The first requirement is commitment and consistency. We have to be, they were clearly committed to each other. You know, day by day, they're gathering together with one another. They were with each other all the time. And the only way that you're going to experience this type of community is if you just say, I'm in. I'm here. I want to be a part of this. But commitment and consistency work together. You have to have both of them. A commitment is a posture. It's a posture of, of leaning in. It's a posture of giving yourself to something. It's saying, I want to be here. Imagine that you're on a date with someone 
and you're talking to the person and they're sitting across from you and they're leaning back in their chair, they're on their phone, they're not responding, they're looking out the window, they're, they're fiddling with the menu. Do you think they're having a good time? No. It's clear from their body language and they're, that they're not committed to being in that place. But if you have someone who's leaning in and they're engaging and they're responding and asking good questions, you're like, man, this person's committed to at least this date. But also you have to have consistency. You, it's not enough to just want to be there. You have to be there. You, ha you have to be regular. It has to be both. It's like if you were to try to learn how to play the guitar, man, you can really want to learn how to play the guitar, but if you only pick it up every four months, you're not gonna learn how to play the guitar. You could also pick up the guitar every single day and just kind of fiddle around with it for a couple of minutes just you know, while watching YouTube, and you're also not gonna grow in learning how to play the guitar. It takes both of these because when you don't feel all that committed, consistency helps you get over the commitment bump. And commitment drives your consistency. So we need to be committed and consistent if we want to experience this type of community. The second requirement is confession and confidentiality. It's not enough to just be there. It's not enough to just be there regularly. You have to be vulnerable. Now, it's not just being there, it's being open. Now, this obviously takes time. I mean, if you walk into a, a community group the first week and you just tell everything, I mean, it might be okay, but you don't have to do that. It's appropriate. It's over time. It's as you get to know people, you begin to share. We've all been in situations where, where someone's the overshare and someone's the undershare. I'm not going to make you raise your hand and tell me which one you are. But everybody knows an overshare. You may be an overshare, and it's just every word that comes to your mind, you share all of it. Uh, some people are undershares, where it would be, it's like you'd rather die than someone pry any bit of personal information away from you. But when we are appropriately open and vulnerable over time in a place where we feel safe to do so, that's how we grow. When you open yourself up, you find grace. And what you realize in the safety of community where people are going to hold your story as sacred is it's okay to struggle with sin. Not that you stay there, but you're okay to admit that you struggle with it. It's okay to confess your doubts and other people help build up your faith. And it creates space for us to grow together. So you got to have confession and confidentiality. You got to say, I'm here, I'm here regularly, and I'm open. The third requirement is intentionality and, and invitation. Community life in Acts chapter 2 took some planning. Again, 3,000 people getting together, which meant someone had to organize the times to get together. Somebody had to plan the meals. Someone had to plan the, the teaching. All of this stuff took intentionality. It took initiation. It took invitation. Don't wait for others to invite you along. Be the initiator. Be the intentional inviter. And the simple way to do this is just think about what do you like to do? Invite other people into it. Let's say you like to rock climb. Invite somebody else along. Some people in this church are just, they're willing to do anything. Just invite them along. Maybe you like to go for a walk. Just don't go alone. Invite another person. Even the boring stuff like laundry. Invite another person in. Invite, invite somebody else to study the Bible with you. You don't need my permission to study the Bible. Invite somebody else in to study the Bible with you. The early church was always intentionally inviting people in. And here's how we know that. Look at verse 47. It says at the end, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
They were intentionally inviting others to the same grace that they had received. It wasn't a closed circle. And I believe that every community group, every Bible study should have an open chair to communicate the idea that we're not closed. We're open to other people coming in and being invited. So who are you inviting into community? I want you to think about that now. Who, who's a coworker or a neighbor or a family member that God's putting on your heart that you could invite to church or invite to community group or invite to a hangout over lunch? And when you combine all three of these ideas of, of consistency and commitment, confession and confidentiality, intentionality and invitation, here's the key. It takes buy-in before you get benefit. Let's say it one more time. It takes buy-in before you get benefit. Notice that what it doesn't say is that they had great teaching and they made good friends and then they had powerful prayer together and then they devoted themselves to each other. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to eating together, and to prayer. They devoted themselves, then they saw the growth and joy. And so I think two mistakes that happen when we're looking for community as a church are this. Number one is we jump around from place to place. Jump around from group to group. As I've heard someone say once that we move 10 times in 10 years looking for relationships that take a lifetime to build. Be rooted. If you found some people here, be rooted. Give it time. It takes a while to really know whether you're going to be friends with someone, whether you're gonna find yourself in community here. The second is that you're waiting for some feeling before you join in. And if you're waiting for some feeling or some magical sign, you're probably going to be waiting forever. You know, when you were a kid, there were, there were two ways that you made friends. One, you got into a fight with someone, like a fist fight, and then you were just friends. That's just how it worked. Or you looked at somebody else and said, oh, you like monster trucks too. I do. Let's be friends forever, right? I wish being an adult was that easy, that we just say, oh, you like coffee. We're going to be buddies. You won't know until you just take the step in and try it. You don't know whether you're going to be friends with someone or you're going to find community until you say, I'm going to buy in and believe the benefit's going to come from it. But lastly, we need to unpack what holds Christian community together. What holds us together? Because every group of people are held together by some common identity. So verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now that's a fascinating statement because there could not have been a, a group, been a group of people who had less in common. If you go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 2, you see at least 17 different cultures and languages. You see the poor amongst the rich. You see the uneducated and the educated. You see people with different interests and hobbies. They seemingly have nothing in common, yet they were in each other's homes every night, and they sacrificed significantly for each other. What drew them together? See, this is the beauty of Christianity. This is the beauty of it because, and I think this is what makes it different than every other worldview is that anyone can get in on it. Anyone can experience what's being talked about here in Acts chapter two and that Christianity is actually the most inclusive group ever because of why you're able to be a part of it. Most religions are ethnically based. Most religions, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, are often locked around a certain ethnic culture. Christianity's not. Other groups, if it's traditional religion, what binds people together is, do you follow the same set of rules? 
Even something like Scientology, like Tom Cruise jumping up on couches and stuff, it's all gathered around wealth. It's how much money do you have, and if you have enough money, you move up the ranks. There are non-religious idols that people gather around, like success, power, and beauty, and successful, powerful, and beautiful people tend to congregate together. If it's philosophy, we gather around being educated, but the gospel, Christianity, is different because what these people had in common was hope in Jesus. What these people had in common is that every person, regardless of your background, culture, upbringing, how much money is in your bank account, needs a savior. And what this means is that anyone can get in on it. If the reason we gather together is not because of our ethnicity, but because of Jesus, it means every culture can get in on this. If anyone is invited, regardless of how good or how bad you are at following the rules, but because of Jesus and his righteousness, anybody can get in on this. If it's not about how successful or powerful or beautiful you are, Jesus is the reason you can get in on this. The only way in is through trusting Jesus. This is our hope. This is the hope of the early church, that every person from every culture can experience the gospel together, and that's what holds Christian community together. And when we see this common hope that we all need a Savior, and that we can all receive a Savior, this explodes into praise, and this is the key for the church. Tim Keller said that praising God is the dynamite Praising God is the engine. The early church grew and added more people because a community of people had a common hope in Christ that they could not help but sharing with others. There were people so changed by the grace that they'd received that they wanted others to experience the same grace. And it says here that he gave them favor with all people. Other people saw it and they wanted it. And I want this for City on a Hill. I've never been around a more loving group of people, and I want other people to experience the same joy that we have in Jesus. And so three challenges for us as a church as we wrap up. Number one is I want you to go all in with Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to go all in with him. I want you to surrender your life and turn your life over to him to trust that Jesus paid the penalty of sin for you, He died for you. He rose again so that you could be brought into his family. And you can receive that by simply trusting him by faith. I want to be people who go all in on his teachings, that we we believe his word and we apply his word. Secondly, I want you to go all in with the church. You know, buy in before benefit. Maybe the next step for you is to get into a community group. Be sure to sign up in the back. And then thirdly, go all in to invite other people. Invite other people to the same grace that you have received. Let's pray.